amazing. But, uh, you know, the, the thing is that all of this happened because of uh, the ability to connect, the ability of people to connect with me, the ability of me to let down my guard and connect with them, and just to see each other. Like, you know, I see you and you see me. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Do you love adventure sports? You're in the right place. Episode 13, Leon Logothetis. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville, and I have an amazing guest with us today, Leon Logothetis is an author of multiple books, a world traveler. He grew up in London, and he was a broker there. Some uh, turns of events in his life led him ultimately to Los Angeles, where he now resides. Leon has had amazing adventures, such as walking from Times Square in New York all the way to the Hollywood sign in L.A., and he has amazing stories about the people that he met along the way. But then he took another journey, a, a larger journey, where he traveled around the globe meeting people along the way. And the most fascinating part of both of these journeys is he decided to do it in a way that would allow him to rely on the kindness of strangers as a way of connecting with people in a very unique um, manner. So, Leon, thank you very much for being on the program today. Thanks very much for having me. So, Leon, I gave a real brief sketch of what you've been doing. But will you take a few minutes to tell our listeners about yourself and your connection to this world travel adventure in this yellow motorcycle? Sure, sure. Well, it all really started. Uh, I used to be a broker in the city of London, and I, I, felt, I felt very disconnected. I felt like I was living someone else's life. Um, and uh, to be honest, I, I, was, I was pretty depressed. Um, and I watched the movie The Motorcycle Diary, which is a romanticized version of Che Guevara traveling across South America, relying entirely on the kind of strange. Um, and I was just really taken aback by that movie. It, it, it inspired something in me. I had, I guess I'd call it an epiphany. And uh, I realized that I was wasting my life. I was wasting my life sitting behind a slab of wood. I like to call it a slab of wood. And um, I found the courage to quit my job. Uh, and really the courage I found to quit my job came from pain. Uh, pain was the greatest motivator for me. And um, I left my job and I started to travel around the world um, and I started to try and connect with people because as a kid and as a young adult and even to this day to be quite honest with you uh, I have trouble connecting with people um, it's easier for me to connect with strangers than it is to connect with the, the, my loved ones but I still do have this issue with connection so I took away all my money um, and I put myself in a situation where I was forced to connect. Um, and after a couple of adventures, you mentioned one of them, which was when I traveled across America on $5 a day, I ended up purchasing this yellow motorbike and um, in some way recreating the romanticized version of Che's trip across South America because also Che gave back on his journey. And um, so I didn't want the yellow motorbike journey just to be about me receiving kindness. I wanted it to be about me receiving and giving kindness. So there were certain moments in the journey where unsuspecting Good Samaritan would um, receive a life-changing gift and I had the honor of being able to, to help people along my trip. Well, that sounds really, really interesting. You know, on the Adventure Sports Podcast, we often interview people that are who I call the encouragers 
There are those who say, you know what, it's not just about having fun in an adventure sport. It's about doing something that we love, but doing it in a way that can encourage and help others. And it sounds like you've certainly done that. You know, that, that's, that's my, that's my mess, message and my mission as well. It's uh, twofold. One is to live fully, you know, go out and have some fun. It's very important to go out and have fun and uh, to, to be fully immersed in what your passion is, whatever that may be. Uh, but I think it's equally as important to share that passion with other people. Um, and if in some small way you can inspire someone to, to live a better life and to be the best they can be through your actions, then it's like a double whammy. You get to live fully and, and you can inspire in some small way if you can. Absolutely. So you've written two books. Um, the first book was The Amazing Adventures of a Nobody, and that one was based on your trip across the U.S. on uh, on foot, right? Yes. Yes, I hitchhiked. And then your second book is The Kindness Diaries, and this is the one about your trip around the world on the yellow motorbike. It is indeed. Early in your trip, you got to Colorado, and uh, you met a couple there, a Scottish man, I believe? Yes, Willie. Willie's a Scotsman. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that story. <laughs> uh, I think in a previous life I was Scottish. I know that sounds weird, but I, there is some Scottishness in it. But basically, I randomly, I mean, the whole trip was random, but I randomly uh, met this Scottish chap in Delta, Colorado. Um, I, I was having uh, some troubles finding a place to stay, and I went to the um, to, to the to some local uh, offices, and I, and I asked for some help, and they said to me, well, you know, we can't help you, but you know, we know someone that may be able to help you. So I ended up staying the night with Willie, um, and he took me and took me in. He fed me. He took me to meet um, some of his friends. He actually worked in the uh, in a um, old people's home. I met a 96-year-old lady called Kay who had such a joie de vivre that it would put me to shame. So alive, full of life. Um, and Willie was, uh, you know, really being kind. And it, I noticed how he was being kind to everyone else and not necessarily so much to himself. His son was about to get married in, uh, in England, and uh, him and his wife weren't able to go to this wedding and I felt I felt like this calling to kind of be of service because he had been so kind to me and again no one knew that that there was going to be an element of giving back so people's kindness was pure Um, and I was fortunate enough to send him to his son's wedding with his wife and we've stayed friends and he's a good man you know really good man and uh, the journey was 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 filled with, with good people you know really really good people you got to meet so many neat people, and I understand that this is one of the first couples that you were able to, to help in a significant way along the way. Yep, it was. It was. It seems that you had lots of challenges as you made your way around the world on this motorbike, but will you share with us a story about a time that things didn't go right and, and how you managed, how people stuck to the plate and, and how you got through? Sure. I think one of the, the, the stories that I, I, I remember very, very clearly, uh, it was it was near the end of my journey, actually. I was in Vietnam. Um, well, actually, I, hadn't, I had just crossed from the Cambodian side of the border to the Vietnamese side of the border. And bear in mind, you know, I'd traveled, I don't know how many, how many miles, 15, 20,000 miles. Um, I'd had all these amazing experiences. And I was 70 miles away from the, the port in uh, Vietnam because I'd arranged for um, a ship to take me across the Pacific uh, for free. Now, that sounds simple. I just arranged it. It wasn't simple. It took a long, long time at the beginning of the journey. And many, many people said no. Um, and then I found one company. Uh, that was willing to say yes and that's how I got the bike across all the ocean so anyway back to Vietnam I was in Vietnam uh, trying to get the bike into the country and they refused they were like no you cannot have the bike and I was like what do you mean I can't have the bike I've just come all the way from LA the trip wasn't LA to Vietnam the trip was LA to LA it was a circumnavigation 
and they were like, sorry, no bike. I'm like, oh no, this is really bad, really, really bad. Um, and they said, send the bike back to Cambodia. And obviously, I wasn't going to send the bike back to Cambodia because then the journey would have ended. Um, so I tried everything in my power, every little trick in the book I, I could think of to get these border guards to, you know, the bureaucratic border guards to, to help me. But, you know, sometimes kindness uh, doesn't uh, reach Southeast Asian border guards for whatever reason. They have their rules and they, they stick by them. Um, so I ended up, believe it or not, going to the American embassy. Now, why would I go to the American embassy? I'm English. Um, you'd think, oh, you go to the English embassy. But no. I went to the American embassy because the bike was actually registered in America. So technically, it was an American citizen. And also, mm. I knew in my heart of hearts that the American people had such a, a, a kindness of, of spirit, and such a generosity of spirit, that if I told them my journey, they would help. Um, so I actually went to the embassy, and uh, after a couple of days of, 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 of trying to help, they got the bike out. Um, but that was a moment of, uh, of like real panic because, okay, of course panic is relative, but panic in the sense of my journey across the world on this bike. Because had the Americans not got involved, I may very well have not been able to get my bike across the world, which would have been, I would have failed uh, in the sense of uh, not being able to complete the, the, the journey. But the Americans helped and I managed to, to end up, uh, I got on the ship, went to Canada and ended up in LA. Um, and it always reminded me when I was having these issues with the Vietnamese I remember saying to myself remember what Winston Churchill said never 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 give up and I kept that in my in my in my mind throughout the whole journey but specifically in that moment in Vietnam you know it seems to be a common theme that the common everyday people that we meet along the way tend to be generous helpful I think most people want just an opportunity to live a good life to connect with others to love their families you know it's the uh, governments that tend to get in the way sometimes, isn't it? I think so, to a certain degree. And, and that, that kind of leads me to the issue of um, the media in our lives. And, and I sometimes find, I mean, look, I'm like everyone else. Uh, I watch the news. Um, and I sometimes find it's so negative. It's so, it's just like a magnifying glass on the negativity of the world. And don't get me wrong, bad things happen. They definitely happen and, and they're really bad. And sometimes they're tragic. Um, but... I feel like I sometimes say that if I were to sit in my house and watch CNN for, or Fox or whatever you watch for seven days straight, I'd never, after those seven days, I wouldn't leave my house. I'd be like, I'm too scared. Like, the world's falling apart. Yeah, when you go out there and you actually meet people and you interact with, the, with, with, with people in the world, you realize that there's more goodness than there is badness. Really, that, 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 that's, my, that's, that's one of the biggest takeaways I, I got from my journey is there's so much goodness out there, really. You just got to, it's not even about looking for it, really. It's just kind of there. In my experiences, I've found the people that have the least to give are sometimes those who want to give the most. Absolutely. I find that. I definitely found that. Um, some of the people who I met, you know, kind of had nothing and, uh, and and they gave of themselves. But also, you know, I met people who had stuff and they gave me things as well. So I do believe that to be the case. But there are also some it, it crosses socio socioeconomic barriers. Interesting. So let's rewind a little bit. Let's give our listeners a framework of of what this journey on this yellow motorcycle was was like. So you started in L.A., you headed east across the U.S., and then from there, what happened? Um, I got on a ship, a container ship, from um, New York. This was the container ship that I had uh, found the company to give it, to let me and the bike go on it for free. I then went to Spain, and from Spain, I and this is going to sound like it was simple, but it was far from simple. I drove from um, Spain all the way to Vietnam. And then from Vietnam, I got on a ship 
again from the same company and uh, got to Vancouver and then from Vancouver I took a oh I took the bike and um, rode all the way down to LA and then it ended thankfully <laughs> <laughs> wow that's quite the trip and you know you left this this huge gap for us right there from Spain to Vietnam how does one ride from Spain to Vietnam oh it's takes a long time um, but you know it's, the bike is a vintage bike it's, uh, it's a yellow Chang Jang it's like one of those old Ural Russian bikes that they used in the Second World War with a sidecar um, so it doesn't go too fast the max speed is 65 but I never really took it at 65 I was like between 55 and 60 so you know it was, it was, it was pretty it was, to be honest with you it's, it, it was somewhat comfortable yet at times obviously you know when you're on the road for 8-9 hours a day it gets not so comfortable um, the bike would break down quite often um, and I'm not uh, really a bike mechanic to be honest with you I have, I have a little bit of skill when it comes to that but not a lot uh, but I purchased uh, I purposely purchased that bike because it was easy to fix anywhere in the world so you could just find someone who knew a little bit about bikes and they'd fix it so you know very no electronics and very easy to, to fix that was one of the reasons why I did it Sounds like a good choice. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that one of the goals of the trip was to rely on the kindness of strangers. Um, so how do you find gas to make a world trip like this? Uh, interesting point. Um, for example, when I first uh, started the journey, obviously I needed to fill the tank up with gas. So I walked around Hollywood Boulevard with my little yellow gas canister, and I started asking people. I couldn't receive money. You, can't, you couldn't give me money, only kindness. And on Hollywood Boulevard, people were trying to give me money. They're like, oh, okay, we like, we like this idea, we'll give you money. I said, I can't accept money. There's a gas station just up the road. Can we go to the gas station together? And like, oh, sorry, can't do that. Okay, no problem. So I ended up sitting outside the gas station. I walked off the strip. Not, not the strip, uh, the Hollywood Boulevard. And I found this chap, and uh, this chap was willing to, to put gas into the bike. And that's how it began. So the journey was made possible by obviously people giving me gas, and obviously um, I would stop off at gas stations and I'd just kind of sit there and chat with people, and if they were willing to help, great. And if they weren't, then that was fine as well. And then the people that would put me up for, for the night, they would more often than not help me with gas, things like that. Did you find it difficult to ask for help like that? I think some people have a, they find it challenging. Absolutely, it's challenging. And, and to be honest with you, the only reason I could do this was by not really thinking too much about the whole journey. I, I didn't think about it. When I started the journey, obviously I had to start thinking about it, but then it was too late. And most people would say no, and that's understandable. You know, there's no expectation. And why would you help me? I, I, I didn't expect it, but sometimes, even though you don't expect it, even though you know it's a social experiment, even though you know that there's a, um, a giving back aspect to it, you, I'm, a, I'm a human, and if people keep saying no to me, even though it was my idea to do it, sometimes it gets tough, and, you know, it's not nice to be rejected. Uh, even with all these things, like, you know you did it to yourself, it's not easy. Sure. So you traveled through many, many countries. Do you know how many you, you actually you know, went through? I think it was 21, if I'm not mistaken. I can't really remember. It was either 19, 20, or 21. So here's a question for you. Did you find a trend um, as you went from culture to culture, country to country, where there were some places where it was easier to find people who with more generosity and kindness in places that it was more difficult? Or did you find humanity to uh, be more or less similar around the globe? Look, I'd say more or less similar, but there were 
certain countries that were more helpful, and there were certain countries that weren't. Like, for example, like I keep saying, America. Maybe it's because of my accent, but I've always found the Americans to be tremendously generous and tremendously kind. Um, so America was, 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 was a very positive experience. Also, uh, Bhutan, which is northeast of India, is a little country that has a, a policy called gross national happiness, where they determine the success of their country by the happiness of their people. Um, and it really shows there's, there's such a, a, a beauty in the souls of the Bhutanese, well, certainly the souls of the Bhutanese that I met. And it's a wonderful, wonderful place. That's very unique approach. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you a quick story. I was in Kenya in Homa Bay on Lake Victoria. And in that area, there are almost no white-skinned people. So wherever we went, we drew a crowd, especially the children. They wanted to meet us. They wanted to touch us and see if the, the white skin came off. And it was it was really delightful. But I remember we were on a dock, and there's a, a small African girl who had an American T-shirt. A lot of the Africans in the area, it's, it seemed that they got their clothing um, from probably from clothing donated, you know, various places around the U.S. But as I'm standing there watching – you know, having spent several weeks with people who live largely in poverty, but I found that they had so much joy. And uh, anyway, this young African girl came running up to see us, and she had this American T-shirt that said, the American dream is so extreme. Of course, she didn't speak English and didn't know what the shirt said. And here I am watching people load up on a small boat to the point that it's about to capsize to cross this body of water you can't see across. And... Uh, you know, so many people gearing around us just because we're from America and this little girl's T-shirt. You know, from time to time, I believe we Americans and people across the world, we, we can get so caught up in the daily grind, the 8 to 5, that um, can often become the 8 to 8. And we forget about the human element of this life, the humanity of it all. And there is something about her T-shirt that brought it home for me. I said, you know what? It's true. The American dream can be very extreme. We've got to take the time to step out of our own little bubbles, look in from the outside, and say, okay, what matters and what's real? I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, when I was working as a broker, that was really uh, my life. Uh, the American dream is too extreme. And that's one of the reasons why I, I quit that life, because I felt like there was so much more uh, than just sitting behind a desk and crunching numbers. And, you know, some people are inspired by that, and that's okay. That's, that's their passion, that's their dream, that's what they want to do, and that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, that wasn't my path, and uh, sometimes I find that we end up on other people's path, and uh, that's a, a tragedy in itself, if you think about it. If you think you're 90 years old and you're looking back at your life, you think, wow, I lived someone else's life. What was all that about? Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it's common for people to come together on parallel journeys, sometimes for a lifetime, sometimes for a season, but the journeys are still unique. We each have our own. We certainly do. So tell us what it was like to uh, be on a motorcycle crossing the world. What was the weather like? What, were you traveling primarily in warm areas? Was it cold? Um, it's so hard for me, having not done this, to get it just a general feel for what it would be like to be on a motorcycle for that long in, in all these conditions. Well, that's an excellent point, and I made a, a very conscious decision to follow the summer. So basically, um, from L.A. all the way to Vietnam, literally, I, I only had like one day of rain. It was, it was ridiculous. Wow. It was ridiculously lucky. And there was, that one day of rain was in Lake Como. But, uh, you know, I was, I was traveling, I was following the summer. However, I 
didn't realise, which of course I should have, but I didn't, uh, or didn't think about it, that, that Canada, when I got to Canada, uh, the summer was no longer. And um, I remember getting off the ship and I was like, oh my goodness gracious me. I am in a bit of a pickle here because it's absolutely freezing. Um, and of course, I had a jacket and I had gear, but I I wasn't prepared for the uh, the Canadian weather at all. Fortunately, I found some people who who helped me out. But um, I remember even even to be honest with you, they gave me a full face mask, and even then I was still freezing. They gave me a jacket, but. It was very cold, and uh, had I not followed the summer, to be honest with you, it would have been a lot harder. Sounds like a fascinating trip. You know, I think a lot of people would just say, what got into you to think that you could just take off around the world on a motorcycle? Well, I remember at the beginning of the conversation, I said pain is a great motivator. Well, that's basically, again, what it is. I mean, I, I tend to have existential crises once every 12 months or so. So I was in, I was in the midst of one of those. Um, and uh, I was motivated by that. And I was motivated by living fully. And I was motivated by trying my best to be of service in any way I could be. Um, that, those were my motivations. You take the time to prepare for an adventure, planning where you want to go, learning strategies to get there, and connecting with experts to guide you, right? Shouldn't the adventure into college and career receive the same kind of in-depth research and attention? Off Trail on Purpose provides individualized coaching and data-driven guidance to help clients from 15 to 25 years of age start their adventure into adulthood with confidence. When so many people are feeling lost, you can have the sense of direction. Get started at www.offtrailonpurpose.com. The Kindness Diaries, the new book by Leon Logothetis, the global adventurer, motivational speaker, and philanthropist, is now available. The Kindness Diaries chronicles Leon's travel around the globe fueled only on the kindness of others. Visit www.leonlogothetis.com to learn more about Leon's adventures and look for The Kindness Diaries anywhere books are sold. advice would you give to people that might be interested in embarking on a, on a similar journey? Well, my advice would be on a macro level, more about living life. And that would be, you know, I, I'd say the first thing, the most important thing is to find your passion. Um, because if you're living a, a passionless life, then you're really not fully living and you're really not fully being. So I'd say find your passion. Now, that's not easy. It's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, just go and find your passion. Well, no, it's not so simple to find your passion. But it's crucial. So finding your passion um, and then it's living your passion, really, really, truly living your passion. Um, and the third and to me, the most important thing is sharing your passion because, you know, as you said earlier, humanity has kind of lost itself to a certain degree, certainly in the Western world. Um, and when we can find something that we're passionate about and we can, we can live it and we can ultimately show people that if we can do it, you can do it. That's how I started this journey. I saw, I read books, I, I saw movies, I, I surrounded myself with, with, with people who were really living their lives. Um, and I was like, well, hold on. If they can do it, then there's no excuse that I can't do it. I can do it. So if I can do it, then you can do it. 
how much planning do you think it takes to do something like this? Did it take a lot of planning, or could a person just kind of up and go and take it as it comes? No, there's certain, with this specific journey across the world, there was planning, absolutely. I mean, I had to plan the ship, uh, the ships. I had to plan the visas. Uh, you know, everything was done without money, but obviously not the visas. I had to pay for the visas. Um, I had to plan for the, the passport of the bike, which is called a carnet, because you can't go through countries without having the bike's passport. Um, I kind of had a loose idea of where I was going to go um, across the world, but it kind of changed at times. But those, you know, there are certain planning things. And obviously, if you're if you have a family, um, I, I in some ways I was fortunate. I am fortunate because I, you know, I don't. I, I had a girlfriend, but I, I don't have any kids. So the level of responsibility that I had was less than maybe quite a lot of people um so that enabled me to do it as well but yes there are there's definitely some planning but when i walked across america there was really not that much planning i mean you know you just arrive in times square and you try your best and hope for the best to get to la there's no passports no visas you know it seems to me um you've actually succeeded quite a lot i i think that some people could launch out on on some parallel journeys and maybe not have the same success that you've had what would you recommend people when times get rough? I mean, at the beginning of Chapter 5 in your book, there's a quote that I really found uh, interesting. It's an African proverb that says, smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. And uh, what would you say to the people who've taken off on some sort of a, a venture like this, who found it pretty tough and maybe didn't get as far as they'd hoped? I'd say what Winston Churchill said, never, never give up. I once uh, drove a uh, car from London to Mongolia. That was the aim. And I crashed in Romania, and uh, it was a very bad crash. Uh, I was lucky to be alive. And the next year, I said to myself, you know what? I'm, I'm going to reach Mongolia. Nothing's going to stop me. And I, and, I, and I did it again, and I reached Mongolia. Um, and I don't think it would have felt as sweet had I not had that, that bump in the road literally, um, in, in Romania. So bad things happen. That, 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 that's the reality. Bad things happen. It's not all smooth sailing. And I, I, I find that, again, I, I shared with you how pain was a, was a great motivator for me. Had I not been in pain, I don't think we'd be having this conversation because I would have stayed in my comfort zone. But you learn a tremendous amount, I find, and, and from all the books I've read and from the, the wise people that have uh, written all these books. Pain and tragedy can, can inspire greatness and um, it's not easy when you're in it it's far from easy when you're in it but another quote from Winston Churchill as you can see I, I like Winston Churchill um, actually I named my dog Winston Churchill so I'm not, I'm not sure he likes that name but that's his name <laughs> but, <laughs> but you see another, another very famous quote is from Winston Churchill is when you are walking through hell keep walking it's like just keep going you're going to get out of it. Keep going. Um, and our humanity deepens, and our connection to our own humanity and other people's humanity deepens when we when we go through problems and issues. When we come out the other side, ultimately, I find that we become stronger, wiser, um, kinder, better people if we you know keep going. You know, you traveled through some areas that I'm definitely seen there. Fair air of rough seas. Uh, there is a story in your book about being in Calcutta and meeting a man named Barrick, who is working with an orphanage. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, I randomly met this chap called uh, Berg, as you said. Um, he took me back to his orphanage, and um, I, I sat there with like 70, 80, 90 kids, all who who he was looking after. And, you know, I don't know if, if you've been to India, but if any of your listeners have been to India, they know the level of poverty uh, that is in that country. It's just... It, 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 it's just 
it's unbelievable. Um, and he was a man who was dedicating his life to being of service and dedicating his life to these kids. And you could see the joy in their eyes. They were just being loved. And uh, it was a very powerful, moving experience for me because, um, you know, he was empowering them. Uh, and as a kid, again, relating to my life, I, I felt disempowered often. And here was a man who was empowering uh, kids who had nothing to become and hopefully be the best they could be. It was very, very moving. In the book... Uh... You mentioned that this was one time you said, you know what, this is a time I want to give back. And you found some needs at this orphanage that you were able to address. Will you tell the listeners what you did there? Sure. Uh, one of the things I did, uh, we were, I'm a big football fan, that's soccer to, uh, to the Americans. Um, and uh, they were playing with all these like you know old balls and they were playing with broken cricket bats. So I was fortunate enough to be able to restock the whole place with, with new um, cricket bats. And also, they were drinking uh, water that was making a lot of the kids sick. Simply buying them a water filter it, it meant that the kids wouldn't be sick. So such a simple act could change the life of these kids. So I, I, I did that. I bought some water filters. Um, and also, for me, books were such an important part of my life. They have been and they continue to be. And uh, they had this library, this really cool library that, that uh, some uh, Westerner had uh, built for them. But there were no books in the library. Um, so I was... Uh, adamant that I would fill the library with books. Wow. So what was the response of the kids and of Beric when you they, did these things? They went nuts. I mean, Beric was a little bit uh, reserved, actually, but the kids, when, when he explained to them what, 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 what was happening, they just went nuts. I mean, it was just joy, you know? It's like the innocence of childhood that so many of us lose. Um, and these kids are obviously kids, and they still have it, but uh, they just went nuts. It was, it was, it was wonderful. That's got to be fun. You know, it, it's the giving, it's that connection, I think, that brings a lot of uh, meaning to life, certainly. So yeah. you just set out on a motorcycle, and you ran into these people, and were able to do these random acts of kindness around the globe. I, you know, sometimes I look back at my journey, and I think, well, did that, like, happen? Was that me? You know, it's like, I, obviously, I wrote the book, and I, sometimes I look back at the book and look back at the pictures, and I'm like, wow, like, really? It was just amazing. But, uh, you know, the, the thing is that all of this happened because of uh, the ability to connect, the ability of people to connect with me, the ability of me to let down my guard and connect with them, and just to see each other. Like, you know, I see you and you see me. I hear you and you hear me. It's very simple, but very profound. And many of us are never seen, uh, never, throughout our lives. And uh, I think that's a tragedy. Well, it, you're enriching the lives of many people through your stories. And um, I know a lot of people have lived vicariously through your book here. But it seems to me that are calling us all to step out of our comfort zone a little bit and get out there and experience others and see what this world's all about. Without a shadow of a doubt. You know, it's not easy. It's easy for me to sit here and say, get out of your comfort zone. Go and do this. Go and do that. Well, you know, maybe you've got a mortgage to pay. Maybe you've got five kids. Maybe you've got a, a job that you you have to do because you, you've got to pay for all these things and you hate it. And I understand that. And it's not a simple thing to do. But the truth is, Anything is possible. That's my philosophy. If Neil Armstrong can walk on the moon, then why can't we live as full a life as we possibly can? Why? Well, yes, we can, we can make excuses. Okay, all right. I've made many excuses in my time. But the truth is, anything is possible. Maybe some situations are harder than others. But let's say, for example, you want to be a chef and you're, you're a single mum and uh, you're working very, very hard um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge just to stay afloat. If you truly, truly want to be a chef, the first thing you can do is just take that first step. And that is to walk into Barnes & Nobles and to buy a book 
on, on cooking recipes. And maybe on Saturday nights or Sundays or whatever, just take a look at it and start cooking. And, you know, in a couple of weeks, maybe go and buy another book. And, you know, it kind of, you can do the, the crazy leaps of faith like I did, or you can do the baby steps. Um, but I, I believe that it is everyone's right to go out and live a full life. And I, I believe that we, many times we make excuses. Well, I can't do this, I can't do that. And I still do that. I still make excuses. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I have to force myself to take these leaps. But I, I just feel like, you know, we can, we can excuse our whole life away. I, I couldn't agree with you more there. A quote popped into my mind here, and I don't even know who first said it, but a job once begun is half done. I have found that to be so true that we have a dream, but unless we start, nothing happens. And taking the first step that first day, that's like the gates open up and everything starts happening then. There's a picture on the front of your book, and I've not gotten to this part of the book yet. I haven't finished reading it, but it's a picture of you in a river with a man. I'm going to guess it's the Ganges. Am I right? You are very right. Tell us that story. I have to know what this is about. <laughs> well, have you ever been to India? I have not. It's still on my list. Okay. Well, the Ganges is the, uh, the holiest river, um, possibly in the world, but certainly in India. Um, it is also, in certain places, the dirtiest river. You, you, know, you see dead animals, you see lots of bad, bad things. But for them, it's the holiest river. Um, and that uh, picture was taken in the city of Varanasi. And Varanasi is called the city of fire because it's the holiest city in India, in the sense that people go there, they get cremated by the river and thrown into the Ganges. And if that happens, they, the, the, the Hindus say that you don't have to reincarnate. So it's the, the, the highest honor you can receive. Um, and uh, I, I was there and I you know, saw all these sites, funeral pyres with people being cremated right in front of your eyes. And I randomly met this uh, riverboat driver um, and we got chatting and uh, he took me out on a spin on the riverboat and then he said to me, do you want to go for a dip in the Ganges? And my first reaction is, of course, no. I mean, yes, it's a holy river, but I just saw a dead cow going by it. No, I don't, I don't want to go in the Ganges. But <laughs> my gut was like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to go in the Ganges. And that picture is him doing a prayer with me. Um, I didn't understand what it was, but it was it was a prayer. And uh, it was a very powerful, moving moment because there I was in the Ganges with this random man. And uh, he was, uh, you know, we were connecting. Uh, even though I couldn't understand him, uh, we were, in that moment, we were, we were truly connecting. And it's, uh, it's a very, very powerful river, I must say, even though it's, very, it's as a Westerner, it's the thought of getting in that river is like, you know, no. But uh, you kind of, something takes over. It's the Ganges. And if you're asked to get in it by, by a holy man, you do, or if you're me, you do anyway. I, I really like that. There's a takeaway there. You have an opportunity to do something that's not completely comfortable, but you feel compelled. You know, like you said, you've asked to get in the Ganges by a holy man. Those are the life experiences, I think, that we take with us. You know, had you stayed in L.A. and not taken this trip, then what kind of stories would you have for us right now? Probably not swimming in the Ganges. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, what, one thing I, I, did, I did learn is that yes, I do. We, one can go out on all these journeys and experience all these things outside of your comfort zone. But ultimately, we all have a home, and, and home is wherever home is. But for me, it's Los Angeles, and and a lot of these lessons that I learned on the on my trip, I need to be able to put into practice in my everyday life. Because I used to go on these journeys, and still to a certain degree, I do. To be honest, go on these journeys, you know, have these amazing experiences, and then come home and be like, well. You know, now what? And I wasn't able to integrate them into my, my daily life. And I think that's a, that's a really important thing because you can use travel as an escape. 
And I certainly started off in my life by using travel as an escape. And now what I try to do is to try and use travel as an education. Um, I'd like to call it the school of life. So I go to school and I come home and I keep what I learned at school at home. You know, there's there's also the, uh, I guess, a proverb, the higher you climb, the more that you see, but the more that you see, the less that you know, and the higher you need to climb again. Do you feel that in your own life? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like you go and you think you know everything and you come back and you realize you know nothing. It's a good reason to go. Talk for a moment about adventure travel. A lot of people take vacations, but travel versus vacation, they're, they're two different things. And adventure travel has a, a flavor all its own. How would you uh, contrast those ideas? Well, look, I'd say that uh, adventure travel is immersion in life. It's an immersion in, in extreme experiences that you can bring back home and um, utilize in your everyday life. And I would say a vacation is, uh, you know, some people need vacation. In the sense that a vacation is just a way to kind of uh, detox and to kind of calm yourself down. And, you know, if you're working 12-hour days for five years, you need a vacation. And maybe adventure travel isn't what you need because you've been in your own way having your own adventure travel at work or whatever. Um, but ultimately, I'd say for me and for many people that I've met along the way, vacations are kind of, I feel like you don't really come, you may come back calmer, you may come back refreshed, but you don't come back wiser. Mm. Good point. Good point. Well, Leon, you've been back now for a little over a year, it sounds like. Um, you've released this wonderful book. I, I can't wait to finish it up. But what are you up to these days? Well, I'm actually planning my next adventure. And my next adventure is uh, I will be driving from the tip of South Africa to the northern tip of Finland. Uh, and there will be a life-changing twist uh, attached to this journey as well. But the twist is a secret for now. Ah, so is this going to be a book or a movie or a TV show? Or how, how are you going to share this, this journey with us? Um, primarily, it will, be, it will have an online component, but it will also be a book. Very cool. And I also understand that you've started a nonprofit, the Human Interaction Project, inspired by your trip. Uh, tell us what the Human Interaction Project does. Yeah, the Human Interaction Project basically um, is a continuation of my journey. I didn't want my journey just to end with me. I wanted, I wanted to inspire others to be able to do similar things. Um, so if you're between the ages of 18 and to 30, you can go on the journey. And basically the journey has three parts to it. The first part is a volunteerism aspect. So you will get the chance to work in a, an orphanage in Peru or let's say a hospital in Colombia, uh, Mexico, wherever you want. Whilst you are there, you will have the opportunity to find a person or, or an organization who you feel you can change their life and there will be a monetary amount that we will give for you to change their life. You're not going to give them money. It'll be something maybe, let's say, a rickshaw or, or something. Um, and the third thing, to me, the most important thing is to come home and share that with your college, with your school, with your community. So that will be done in, by speeches, by Facebook, Twitter, things like that. Um, do you uh, travel and give public appearances about your journey? I do. If people wanted to reach you to learn more, um, how could they do that? Um, they can go onto my website, which is uh, Leon, L-E-O-N, Logothetis, L-O-G-O-T-H-E-T-I-S, sugar. So LeonLogothetis.com, and you can just find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Well, Leon, you've told us some amazing stories, and I applaud you for what you've done. And I look forward to hearing much more from you and more of your amazing travels in the future. Cool. 
thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat and tell my stories. Well, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much for the time that you gave us today. And all of our friends out there, this has been the Adventure Sport Podcast with Leon Logothetis. And until next time, get out there and have some fun. Hi, friends. Will you help us make the Adventure Sports Podcast successful? Please rank us on iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe, rank, review. Thanks.